hey, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, mother of dragons, queen of burnout, podcaster extraordinaire. (laughs) I'm kind of having fun with the role of all these different titles, right? Keeper of the keys, plunger of the toilets, so many things. But I think it's fun to recognize all the different facets of life. Anyway, anyway. I'm Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman, and I am here today on a solo cast, and I'm going to talk about what organizations can do today, this week, this month, for the rest of the year, this quarter, and into 2022 to help their employees, their doctors, everyone within their organization with the ongoing pandemic burnout. As we know, the disease that shall not be named is not going anywhere. This is the new normal. And so I really want to speak to organizations, speak to leaders, empower you who are working within organizations to say, hey, no more just surviving. Now it's time to move on and start thriving in this environment that we have. No more just hanging on by our fingernails. It's now time to get a good grip to make some pivots and changes and recognize this is what it's going to be moving forward. So I've actually got some hardcore literature from JAMA, from the Annuals of Internal Medicine, some other stuff. Thank you, Dr. Kara Pepper, for all of her amazing data and research that she shared with me recently. And so I'm going to make it concise, put some air and sass in it, and let you know this is exactly what you can do today to decrease pandemic burnout. Okay, well, let's get into this episode. All right, decreasing pandemic burnout today. Let's make sure we're setting the stage correctly when we're talking about this. There is a model called the Stanford Model of Professional Wellness. It shows three concentric circles, think of like a Venn diagram that overlap themselves, and they classify professional fulfillment in those three domains. So one of them is personal resiliency, one of them is systems of operation, and one of them is culture of the organization. So I always point this out at the very beginning of any wellness burnout talk that I ever give, just to show visually, burnout is not an individual problem. The majority of the issue with burnout is systemic and organizational. Let me say that again for the people in the back. The majority of burnout and the issues that cause burnout is not physical limitation or an individual's brokenness. It is actually a majority caused by the systems for which we work in and the culture of the organizations that we work in. Okay, everybody good with me? Some people will give a like 60-40 breakdown. Other people will use an 80-20 breakdown. I don't care what numbers you use. Let's just call a spade a spade. A majority is the system and organizational culture. Okay, Good. So we got that out of the way. I can put references in the show notes or you can email me if you want to see that or just Google Stanford model of wellness and it'll pop up. I promise. Number two, resiliency is not the problem. We don't need more resiliency training people because here's the thing. There's a study that came out in JAMA. It was back in 2020. The title was resiliency and burnout among physicians in the general U.S. working 
population by one of my favorite MD PhDs, Colin West. If you don't know, he is one of the leaders in all of this um, burnout research. Um, But essentially, this article answers the question, how resilient are physicians compared to U.S. workers? And guess what? (laughs) Physicians have significantly higher resilience scores than the general population. However, higher resilience scores were associated with lower burnout rates, but even the most resilient physicians still had substantial rates of burnout. So what that tells me is that resilient people still get burnt out. Even the most resilient people still have substantially higher burnout rates than the general population. And that resiliency is not a direct prevention measure against burnout. It does not have a direct causation relationship. I guess it would be an inverse relationship to burnout. It doesn't mean that like the more resilient you are, then you are ultimately going to have significantly less burnout, like many of the wellness stuff that I read. I'll be perfectly honest. And this article for me was really encouraging because I've been saying it for a while. Resiliency training is bullshit. At this point, you cannot take extremely resilient people and make them that much more resilient. It's not going to change their burnout scores, according to this article. So number two, is to realize for organizations, we don't need more resiliency training right now. Please, please stop with it. Number three, this one's a big one. And this is actually, I guess I could summate it as saying, get your own wellness house in order. So the study that I'm talking about is another JAMA article from 2020. The title is Association of Burnout, Professional Fulfillment, and Self-Care Practices of Physician Leaders, with their independently rated leadership effectiveness. So this was an article from JAMA by Tate Sandefeld, another burnout leader. And then the second article that goes along with this is from Mayo, and it's entitled Impact of Organizational Leadership on Physician Burnout and Satisfaction. Another Tate Sandefeld published in March. Actually, this one wasn't 2020. Sorry about this. This one was 2015 in the Mayo article. Still both very good articles. Okay, so let me sum them up here. Leaders, if you want to have less burnt out physicians, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your own self-care, of your own wellness, and of your own burnout and professional fulfillment. Because guess what? The people that you are leading, the people you are supervising, they know. They know when you're burned out. They know when you're not doing well and your stuff is flooding over to them. And that perception can permeate throughout the entire organization. If you haven't listened to my work as my drug series, I talk about workaholicism in leadership and how that spills over and those expectations begin to ooze over into employees. And I think it goes along with the same way as well when we're talking about wellness and leadership. Because your leadership effectiveness impacts the organization and it impacts the team. And these two articles and studies actually prove this. They look at, they sampled leaders and gave them surveys on their own wellness. Then they looked at their leadership effectiveness by talking to their employees and their people who are under them. And there was a correlation when it came to wellness measures and how effective of a leader they are. So it matters. Your self-care, your wellness matters. 
And I think I could even broaden this definition. As physicians, as people in healthcare, if you're a nurse practitioner or PA, maybe you're a nurse supervisor listening to me or a pharmacist, you likely are probably at the top of your pyramid or very close in in your organization. So that means that you are a leader, whether you have the title of VP, director, whatever. So Again, I want to empower you. Your wellness, your self-care matters. Even if you're only working with one nurse and one phone triage person or one front desk, your wellness spills over to those other two people. And conversely, I want you to think about that. Think about when you were a resident or a medical student or somebody who was lower on the totem pole. You felt that. You can feel when someone is not doing well physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it impacts the work and it impacts the workplace culture. So in this one, it really is so important to remember that leadership matters. And that's one way that organizations can really help with the pandemic burnout now is to take care of your own health. Take care of your own wellness. That might be taking days off. That might be putting boundaries on schedule. That might be stopping charting from home or checking emails on your phone at 3 a.m. But you need to do this not only for you, but also for the people who work under you. Because again, in these studies, it shows healthy, strong leaders have lower burnout scores themselves and their employees have lower burnout scores and their organization has lower burnout scores. It really does start at the top, the impact of servant leadership and really not just talking the talk, but walking your walk. Okay. And the last thing that organizations can do today, this week, this month, by the end of the year into 2022 is an article which I love that gives 10 ways to support your people. I'm actually going to read through all 10 because I think they're that important. So this article is entitled Getting Through COVID-19, Keeping Clinicians in the Workforce. Because I do have some other articles that Dr. Pepper gave me talking about the number of people leaving, the number of people planning leaving, that there's gender discrimination because right now with childcare and everything that's going on, yada, yada, yada. I won't get into those statistics today, but this is from the Annuals of Internal Medicine. It just came out September 2021. It's a great list of 10. And so I'm just going to go down their list and give it to you. Of course, you can always go grab this online. Number one, what organizations can do is ensure the physical safety of their clinicians by reducing the risk of contacting COVID-19 through vaccine mandates, policies and practices that guarantee universal masking, making sure that there's adequate ventilation in workplaces, and of course, access to PPE. Because when people don't feel safe, (laughs) they're in survival mode. And so it just makes sense to make sure that the physical safety of your clinicians is there. And it's another thing, too, to think that, but make sure that you're checking in with people. Make sure that they feel like, yeah, we're adequately supported here, that we have policies and practices in place. And also to support them, too, that should they get COVID-19, that they will have the support, because most likely this is an occupational hazard for which they've contacted it. So, again, ensuring that physical safety, checking in with your clinicians. Number two, providing practical Again, practical support in the areas that clinicians identify causing emotional stress or moral injury. 
I think this is a really, really important one that for leadership to really be talking to their clinicians, not just providing the support that they think that they need, like yoga at noon or, you know, maybe some kind of small gift card, but actually talking to their clinicians and understanding what is causing them emotional stress and moral injury. So this article mentions a few examples that people can be doing that are maybe a little different than what's been done in the past. So like providing professional development to help clinicians' confidence in managing anger, frustration, and grief when caring for patients who choose not to vaccinate. It's a huge frustration right now, and I know that it's causing a lot of emotional stress. Maybe providing additional trainings on how to address vaccine information. And a real big one is transparency with staffing levels, medication availability, and hospital bed capacity with contingency plans in case surges continue to happen to prevent further moral injury and burnout in clinicians. Because again, success loves clarity. Openness and transparency is where we move forward that even if the answers are I don't know, When leaders can provide that level of transparency of this is what's happening now, it can give clinicians a sense of safety. All right, number three is another big one. Provide sufficient time for clinical encounters. We know that right now it is taking longer. Appointments are taking longer because of physical cleaning of rooms, of decontaminations, of the front desk process, getting people checked in because there's extra paperwork to fill out due to COVID-19. So expanding and opening up more time for clinical encounters is so critically important. We can't squeeze the day-to-day business and the time slots that we used to. And even what we used to was unreasonable as well. So taking the long view on this, instead of focusing narrowly on productivity metrics and recognizing that clinicians have to take time to address issues, they're doing more and more emotional support now more than ever. Um, It's really important that we relieve physicians of the time scarcity crunch. Number four, extend support to clinicians who are parents by offering flexible work schedules, support groups, and advocating for policies to reduce COVID-19 transmission in school settings. Work schedules previously were so very rigid, but I think that's one thing from this pandemic that has really shown is that we can do work in really creative ways. And so recognizing that women and those who are primary caregivers of of dependents may be being penalized for schedule changes. And we're not accounting for the second shift or the invisible workload of women that's happening right now with COVID. So it's more important than ever for leaders to offer support to clinicians and to allow them to have flexible work schedules. Number five, reducing administrative tasks that are not mission critical, such as online annual trainings that do not show improvement in patient outcomes. I laugh right now because it's the end of the year and we're all crunching to get in those mandated online trainings with the videos that you're like clicking the button as fast as you can and trying to get through them as fast as possible. Because right now they are burdensome and tiring requirements are not accounting for the pandemic. And also it's just causing more unnecessary time drain. You also may want to think about meetings that you're happening. You know, the meme, this could have been an email, really noting that any time away from patient care 
is crunching down on clinicians more. All right, number six. This was interesting to me that they put it as number six in this article, but it's healthcare institutions should adopt robust anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policies to acknowledge and mitigate harm, particularly against minoritized persons. There should be zero tolerance for discrimination, harassment, or retaliation against those who voice concerns about patient or clinician safety. Yeah, that's a big one. And as I've sat back and read it, I was like, how do I summarize this? But I think it's really true. I think it goes back to ensuring a workplace of safety, that it's okay to speak up when you feel like there's a concern of for patients, for fellow employees, for yourself, that safety needs to continue to be the center of what we focus on and that we may need to do things differently to ensure the safety, because again, the workplace and the work has changed so much. Number seven, workplaces need to make sure to offer free and confidential resources to support clinicians' mental health. So easy access to hotlines, counseling, peer support groups should be readily available as medical appointments and also so that they have their time off. If there's resources that already exist, it's so important to continue to talk about these. Because again, and like I've talked about numerous times, there's several different types of burned out employees. There's the silent but deadly. There's the ones that are disgruntled. There's the ones who used to be so agreeable, but now are disappearing into the background. And having those resources may be their only lifeline that they access because they're not able to feel like they can talk about things in the workplace. Number eight is update credentialing and employment applications to remove unnecessary questions about mental, physical health diagnosis. Because again, this is stigmatizing clinicians, especially in a time when all of us need to talk to someone, need to be in a therapist's office, need to be talking with a coach, need to be talking about our emotional health. I literally just went through the credentialing process and I just felt scathed at times that some of the questions that I've been asked It's like, yeah, of course I have anxiety right now. Of course I have depression. We're in the middle of a fucking pandemic. We're all feeling it right now. And what does it matter if I'm on medication or not? What does it matter if I see a therapist or not? What does it matter if I have a diagnosis in my medical chart as not? not? Am I taking care of patients well? Am I showing up as best as I can? You better believe it. So I think it's really important for companies to look at that because as they're re-credentialing people or newly credentialing people or on their employment applications, this can be a red flag. Just as one of those people who's done it, I kind of had to sit back and go, hmm, I don't know about this. Number nine is actively encouraging clinicians to use available vacation and personal days to nurture a mentally healthy workplace. Leaders need to role model taking time off, setting and defending work boundaries during that time, as well as advocating it for others to do the same. Boom. Just what we talked about earlier in this episode. (laughs) You have the days. It's part of your employment package. As organizations, we should not be telling people, I mean, I can't think of any place that tells people not to use them, but you kind of get the like side eye and the sigh, like, I guess, okay, you're going to be out. 
And also I feel like we really need to work on the culture of like, oh, such and such is out again. They take all their PTO days. Well, hell yes, they take all their PTO days. They should. It's part of their employment benefit. It's part of keeping yourself healthy. So if you're a leader and you have a whole bank of PTO, I would ask for you to sit back and think about that. Why? What's it doing there? What example are you role modeling? And how maybe can you start to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your team better and actively encourage them to use those days? Because guess what? If you're only down 50% in the office or on the unit, you're only down 50%. And that's just what's going to happen today. You can't force productivity up, but also that person who's out will come back better. All right. And the last one, number 10, one that I'm really strong about, implementing suicide prevention strategies. This includes wellness check-ins for clinicians in the hard hit area so they can express their concerns, so they can hopefully receive help on coping mechanisms. In addition, offering explicit suicide prevention programming. We know that the physician suicide rates are not good. And so we have to keep talking about it. No, this is not primary prevention, but it is what's needed right now. Hopefully we can get more upstream measures in place, but for right now, your people need to know you care and they need to know that help is available and they are not alone. you aspiring podcasters out there, listen up. If you have always wanted to start a podcast, but you haven't gotten around to it yet, this is your sign. I have made a podcasting 101 and podcasting 202 presentation that I want to help you. For a limited time only this fall, you can pick up both of those in a bundle. Check the show notes for the link. In Podcasting 101, you get everything you need to get your podcast off the ground with fun and ease. And in Podcasting 202, you learn how to scale and monetize so that you can grow your podcast reach and even make some dollars. When I started podcasting in 2018 here on Dr. Me First, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how much I would love doing this podcast. So having a course like this to show me a way would have saved me so much pain and hassle from everything that I went through. And I shared that with you so you can get started on the right path. Plus, you get to see the Aaron Wiseman way of things. Let me show you the Coupon Mom easy way to podcast. This won't be around forever, so go check it out and get your podcast out there. Then make sure to email me and let me know when it's launched. I want to listen to you too. But you got to go check out Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 202 to get you started. So there you go. A whole bunch of research, a whole bunch of data, a whole bunch of Aaron Sass on what organizations can do today to help with pandemic burnout. I hope you found this helpful. And if you do me a fave, send it on to your leadership or send it on to somebody who you know that can make an impactful difference in healthcare right now today so that we not only come through this period okay, but in fact, fundamentally change healthcare because of what we needed to do during this pandemic. Just a reminder to you all, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. And I'm so glad you joined me today. Check.